0: together with me to the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus chapter number 10. Leviticus is one of those books that sometimes uh, folks can get bogged down in in their reading, although it is fascinating to see how the Lord outlined His will and His plan through the Mosaic Law for His people and how detailed that the Lord was. Uh, down to the very minutest thing. The Lord was very specific in His will. And I think that really as we begin to grow in the Lord, one of the things that we will desire is to yield every part, great and small, entirely to the purpose and the plan of God for our lives. We'll not tolerate even the little things that displease the Lord But we'll have a heart that wants to yield them all completely over to the will of a holy God. And today in Leviticus chapter number 10, I want to read of an epic event in the history of God's chosen people that has great implications for each and every one of us today. And in Leviticus 10, we begin in verse number 1. Here the Bible says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uzziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said unto Aaron, and unto Eleazar and unto Ithmar his sons, Uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest ye die, and lest wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled. And ye shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine, nor strong drink thou, nor thy sons with thee, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute for ever throughout your generations, and that ye may put difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean, and that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord hath spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. Let us pray together, our Lord and our God, we come before you with humble hearts, recognizing that This passage before us reveals to us an infinitely all-wise God who is above all holy. Lord, as we consider this truth, I pray that we might be possessed of that reality and that, God, we may not simply be hearers of the Word, but, Lord, help us then to appropriate this truth into our everyday lives. Fill me with Thy Holy Spirit, I pray, and use me in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. I believe that often when we read the Word of God, there are events that cause us to wonder. When the Lord dealt harshly with the sons of Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, I have no doubt that there were those in the congregation of Israel that perhaps reasoned in their hearts that They really hadn't done anything that was worthy of death. And why then should the Lord deal so harshly with His servants? But I believe that when we look beyond the surface, we begin to see God's holy purpose in having dealt with them as such. And I believe that we have to consider the fact that God is above all holy. He desires holiness in his people and has admonished us according to his holy plan in every dispensation of time. And I believe that we need to consider the message here concerning the strange fire that was offered upon the altar of God. So today I have prepared a message entitled Strange Fire strange fire. I believe that what we need to do is recognize that the Word of God is a book that was written in dispensations of biblical time. God's dealing with His people in different ways and in different times. And in this particular time, God was dealing with His people. And we know that this was in the time of Their wilderness wandering and the tabernacle had been built and now they had instituted worship. And and now on this particular day in the history of Israel, worship had just begun in the tabernacle only eight days prior. So everything was still somewhat new. But what we find is that on the seventh day, the Bible reveals to us in chapter number 9 that the Lord manifested Himself in great power and in great glory. The Bible says that in verse 23, Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. It was a time of great awe and wonder among the people of God, where they saw in no uncertain terms the power and the majesty of God revealed before them. Perhaps you're like me, that you can recount in times of your life where you have been in moments where God came in power and in great glory. Where the Spirit of the living God descended upon a a meeting or in a church or perhaps in, in your prayer closet and in your time with God and it was unmistakable that it was God alone who had come in great power and in great glory. And you saw a manifestation of the glory of God. And I don't know if you're like me, but there have been times where Having been in that situation, I just wanted to bask in the glow and reflect over all that the Lord had done. And I found myself yearning for more of what the Lord had revealed to me and desiring for God to manifest Himself once again to me through power and great glory. I can think of times when I was just a young boy, going to prayer meetings and gathering together with a group of men and and thinking uh, you know I can't even walk in these men's shadows yet I'm here and and I can remember many times kneeling down across the front of a church and and hearing men weep and pray and cry out to God and just sensing in a palpable way the very presence of the living God and walking away from there and feeling different even as a young boy and knowing that something just happened there that was beyond the pale of humanity, but it was entirely divinity that had come to gather and assemble with us. And and whenever dad would say, do you want to come to prayer meeting? I found myself wanting to go because I was yearning to hear from heaven and once again since The supernatural, and sometimes we go through our natural lives looking for that manifestation of the supernatural and not realizing that it is not until God's people determine to do His work and do it in the power of His Holy Spirit and do it according to thus saith the Lord that He will show up. Altogether, too often, we find that in the church today, there is much strange fire being offered upon the altar, trying to replicate some kind of a great moving of the Holy Spirit of God, trying to choreograph the power and the glory of God as though somehow man could occasion that and presume upon Almighty God just to show himself mighty because. That was what we had arranged at that particular service time. The truth today is this. That that is not altogether different from what Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, attempted to do. If we were to rewind their lives several days, we would see where they were consecrated unto the Lord where they were anointed with priestly oil and where that the blood was applied to them and sprinkled upon them to consecrate them and set them apart for the holy work of the priesthood that they would stand and do according to the plan of God to atone for the sins first of the priests and then of the people. And it was an amazing time and there was a tremendous fanfare and splendor because this was something that was done at the at the door of the congregation all the people saw the the priests the sons of Aaron being consecrated unto the Lord and and they saw the majesty of that and they they beheld the precision of what it was that Moses was doing to consecrate them to this service. And they knew that this was appointed by Jehovah God who was there in the midst. And that God was there in the midst dwelling between the horns of the mercy seat uh, there in the holy place just beyond the veil. And what we know is that a God met with man there. It was a sacred place. And so, no doubt, These young men who were being consecrated for this work were swept up in the revelry and the fanfare, and and I believe with hearts that were true, uh, went through these things, but hearts being what they will, uh, they decided we want to enjoy a little bit more of this attention, of this adulation that we're receiving from the people for this great work that we now do in their place they wanted once again to see a mighty moving and somehow be a part of that. And so rather than doing things God's way, they they took matters into their own hands and they began to try to do things in the way that they thought it should be done. And it wasn't as if they were going out and they were Uh, somehow stealing of the sacrifice animals that wasn't taking place as in other times in this nation's history it wasn't that they were offering sick animals and blind animals under the Lord that wasn't it it wasn't that they were committing uh, sins outlined in what God had given on Mount Sinai unto Moses when he wrote on the tablets of stone that wasn't the case really at all in fact Uh, They were just one more time going about their priestly duties, but not in the time and not in the place and not after the manner that God had appointed and it displeased the holy God. And so we notice, first of all, ambitious sons. We notice there were ambitious sons. Nadab and Abihu had begun their priestly duties with a great manifestation of the glory of God. And, you know, as they began in chapter 10 to kindle the fire in the censers and to offer an oblation to the Lord of incense that would be a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord, it was something that a priest would do. It was something that they would normally in the course of their duties have done. But what we find is the way that they did this, this pleased the Lord. Because the Lord Himself, the Bible declares to us, had kindled the fire upon the altar. It was the responsibility of that priestly tribe to keep the fires of God burning upon the altar and not to take and try to start another fire with which to offer sacrifices unto the Lord. But the the Bible reveals to us that, that Nadab and Abihu were were wrong in the respect that they had they had kindled their own fire and they had taken a fire that was not started by God and they put it within their own censors. And I believe that today there are many that are trying to orchestrate and they're trying to choreograph and they're trying to uh, somehow create an emotional environment whereby that the power and glory of God may be manifested when in reality what is taking place there is they're offering strange fire upon the altar of God it's not something that was kindled by God it was something that was pre-planned by mankind. Now, folks, every time I come to church, it's my prayer and my desire that we would see a manifestation of the power and glory of God. But that doesn't come simply because I have prepared a sermon or because I have uh, prepared to sing certain songs or the choir has sung beautifully or because people have uh, stood in the congregation of the Lord and, and, and wave their hands or say amen a certain way. It only comes at the pleasure of Almighty God who comes at a time when God's people are offering sacrifices in God's way and are endeavoring in every way to live a life that is well-pleasing to the Lord. You see, uh, they were wrong in the manner in which they sacrificed as it was not the fire of God. And my friends today we have ta- we have seen a movement of this postmodern church take that which was kindled on the altars of the world we have taken the world's way of doing things and in particular music and we have co-opted the world's fires and we have put it in a censor that should be consecrated unto the Lord and thinking that somehow that's going to be a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of God and we try to offer that which is worldly unto that which is divine. And my friends, the Lord is not entreated of us at all as we take that which is unholy and try to think that somehow God will reveal Himself in power and glory through the unholy they were wrong in the, in the timing as the ritual offering for the day had already been made. You see, what they were doing had already been done earlier in the day. This was not the time of that ritual offering. It had already been accomplished. But in self-will they decided, let's go ahead and we'll do it again. And maybe if we do this again and, and we have the, the fire and the and the, the savory offering offered to the Lord, that we'll see the Lord come in fire again. That we'll see the, the people fall on their faces again in awe and wonder. And we get to be a part of that. And maybe we can kind of share in some of the adulation of that. And so they offered something that had already been offered to the Lord it was not the time. Let me say this to you, that there are many churches today that will somehow try to tell you that if you've committed sin, that there is penance that you have to make. And the reality is, there was already a sacrifice made. It doesn't need to be made again. The sacrifice at Calvary was made once for all, and according to Hebrews, that it perfects them forever forever which believe. And so, listen, it's, it's not time at all for us to take matters into our own hands, particularly as it relates to those things that point to the sacrifice of Calvary as the offerings and sacrifices in the tabernacle did. And what we also need to understand is that it's not up to us to just decide that, hey, I'm going to do this and impose my will upon God and His work and His people and somehow think that by me deciding that this would be a good time for God to show up, that He is honor bound to do so. I want to just simply say to you, I believe that the Lord says in, in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 23 that where two or more are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And you know, that, that's a something that's profoundly wonderful in this economy in this dispensation of God's time in dealing with people, but before the Lord communed with Moses in a cloud, before the the, the Lord was entreated as He met with God's people or, or, or the high priest that entered on the Day of Atonement into the holy place there and offered the sacrifice upon the mercy seat unto the Lord and applied the blood to the horns of the mercy seat and poured out the sacrifice there. And my friends, I want you to understand that it's not just up to us to say, okay, God, we want You to show up right now. We want You to bless our plans. What we as a people need to do is come to the place where we get on God's program instead of putting God on our program. Somehow presuming upon God to bless our self-made efforts and plans. And the truth is, they were wrong concerning the timing, but they were wrong concerning the place where they offered the offering. For the Bible reveals to us in chapter 16, that Moses gave an admonition unto Aaron. And there in verse 1 we see that the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, brother that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. You see, the indication here is from the Lord that Nadab and Abihu, they had put this fire in their censers and they were coming to, to make an offering and they, they thought, well, God's in there in, in, in the tabernacle between the horns of the mercy seat and the cloud, so we'll just go ahead on in there and they desecrated the holy place, they, they walked right in there. And while there was no specific instruction in the Mosaic law given or prohibition concerning that at that time, they had no regard for the awesome power and holiness of God. And they just wandered in idly on their own timetable and in their own way with their own agenda when they should have been doing the priestly duty in God's way and in God's time and in God's place. And what I believe today is that we have a generation of people that want God all on their own terms. We want we want God to uh, just say, well, you know, we're going to go ahead and give you several options with which to serve the Lord rather than having you inconvenience your lives at all and, and come on the Lord's day. We'll have five services on another day uh, so that you can get a little God into your life, just not when God uh, really hallowed His day. And you know, there are people that today they're afraid to ask for any time off on a Sunday for fear that they might get fired as though somehow if you took a stand for God, that would be a bad thing. As though somehow if you stood up for the Lord and just said that I believe in the Lord God and I've sanctified a day for Him and I'd like to keep that sacrosanct that you're going to suffer because you've taken a stand for the Lord. Listen, I'm going to tell you, the world may not like it. Uh, they, They may say you need to find another job if that's the way you feel about it but I'm going to tell you something. David said in Psalm 37, 26 that I'm young and now I'm old yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. And when God's people take a stand for Jesus to do things His way in His place and in His time, He will honor them for it, but when we come idly, there are consequences that follow that. And I'm going to tell you that there are a lot of people that may keep a job and keep some money in the coffers but lose their family in the process because they have sacrificed that which was holy for that which was unholy. And I'm saying to you today that we see these ambitious sons and they went beyond the veil and and they were trying to replicate the glorious by orchestrating a moment, presuming upon God. And I'm just simply saying to you folks, church is not show business. We don't choreograph the moving of the Holy Spirit. We don't have someone playing the music to try to stimulate and stir the emotions of people while, while the Word of God is giving to, to somehow give you an emotional experience. Folks, listen, that's on a soul level. What I'm doing right now is trying to preach the Word of God because it is spirit and it is truth and it should be directed to the spirit of a man, not the soul of a man. And though it may impact our soul, and though we, we may weep, and though we may have emotional responses to that, that's not the end. The end is that we yield our lives, spirit, soul, and body, entirely unto the Lord, because, my friends, God made us in His image, spirit, soul, and body, and the spirit is the fountainhead of every good thing that comes into the life of the child of God. And yet i found that there are so many Christian people or professing Christians that live two-dimensional lives when God has called them to live a fully dimensional life beginning in the Spirit. So we notice strange fire offered by ambitious sons, but then in the wake of God dealing with them and striking them dead with fire, we see and notice the ironic silence Aaron was silent. The Bible says, Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Aaron held his peace. The Bible tells us here that Aaron, his boys were laying dead in the tabernacle. And he held his peace. And though he was brokenhearted as any parent would be, he kept silent in humble submission before God. He did not deign to question the working of a holy God, but rather remained in stillness and even as Job personified the statement that Job made. That though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. The Lord giveth. The Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, in silence, he knew that God was holy. In silence, he understood that his sons had desecrated the purpose and the plan of God in the holy place. And in silence, he knew it was futile for him to question the holy working of a sovereign God, and so he held his peace. Every year it seems that I deal with folks who are bitter at God because of how things have turned in their life. Inevitably I'll meet people that are angry because God has chosen to take one of their loved ones home and they thought it was too soon and they they're angry and bitter at the Lord and they don't mind saying it and And uh, they don't want to get into the work of the Lord with both feet, though they claim to be saved, because uh, they're still just upset with how the Lord did them. And the truth is that Aaron maybe in somebody's purview would have had a reason to be upset with the Lord. And yet he in humble submission maintained silence before a holy God. And although it was grievous to him, He accepted the working of Almighty God. I wonder if we are at that place of maturity in our lives where the Lord would take something away from us and that we would understand that God is sovereign and He is God and we are not. And whatever in His infinite wisdom He chooses to do, He is just and holy in doing. And although we may not understand, and although we may not enjoy it, and although we may not like it, because our heart has broken, are we willing to say, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Had Aaron risen up and questioned God and, and been angry with Moses because his boys were just new at this. They'd been only been doing it for a week and, and, and man, the Lord should have been more merciful to them. No, God sanctified them and gave them clear instructions and when they violated and tried to orchestrate a moving of God for selfish intent, a holy God that had drawn the line said that the soul that sinneth shall surely die. And had they not died, then He was not holy. Were He not holy, He would not be God. And all of the things written in His book will be held up to question we would have no salvation. And so we notice these ambitious sons in this Aaronic silence, but as we continue in the Word, we see agreement shown. For the Bible reveals this. In verse 4, Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uzziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them in their coasts out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said unto Aaron, and unto Eleazar, and unto Ithamar his sons, Uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest ye die, and lest wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord Kindled. I want you to notice this. There was no posturing or, or protesting the moving of God's hand on the part of Aaron or his remaining sons. <clears throat> Despite Aaron's grief, he continued, continued to minister according to the will of God. You know what I found? There are people that get upset with God and they just quit on God. They just stop. They don't like... They say, God, you could have prevented this, and you didn't. So you know what? Nuts to you. I'm all done. I'm punching out, and I'm not doing this anymore. You know what? Moses said to Aaron, "Listen, Aaron, let your nephews let let these others come and let let your second cousins here come and carry them out. Okay. Let them bury them." Because you've been consecrated unto the Lord, he said, "The anointing of the oil of the Lord is upon you, my friends, I want to tell you something that you and I have the anointing of God upon us if we have the Holy Spirit of God that's declared such in First John in chapter number two. We have this anointing of the Lord it's not some something that the the, the modern charismatic movement has tried to, to make it into. It's God setting you apart for a divine purpose. And God has with fire anointed us with the Holy Spirit of God to do His work. And my friends, there's no place to punch out, to quit. There's no time to give up before we see Jesus And yet, what we find is that when it would have been an easy time for Aaron to say, I'm taking off, I'm going home to Mama. I've got to comfort and console my boy's mother and all of these things. Moses said, look, the anointing oil of God is upon you. You've been consecrated at this time and for this hour. And there will be a time for you to go home and comfort Mama. But it's not now because you stand before God for the people and this work has to continue and my friends somehow we think that that maybe uh, we can just Punch out and say, I don't have to. I'm not talking about don't take a day off. I'm not talking about don't observe a Sabbath in your life to get some rest. I'm not talking about don't take a vacation. But what I am saying is there's no place for the people of God, duly anointed by the Holy Spirit of God, baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There is no place for us to punch out and quit. And we must be in agreement with the divine plan of God. Aaron and his surviving sons showed no outward signs of mournfulness which indicated that they were in agreement with God's plan. They didn't shave their heads and put ashes on their head. They didn't rend their clothes. They didn't wear black armbands. They didn't say, I'm going into a season of mourning as though somehow God did something terrible to us. But in fact, what they did was they showed agreement by not embracing all the implements of mournfulness to somehow express to the people that God has dealt improperly or harshly with our family. They did not question or in any wise align themselves against the hand of God lest His holy hand come upon them as well. Now folks, I'm I'm just going to say this to you. Somebody is seated out there today and thinking, boy has the pastor become a legalist. Is, Is he trying to you know, dangle our feet out over the portals of hell, and and uh, you know, scare the devil out of us somehow. Is is he trying to uh, use the 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 law of Moses to keep us serving? No, I want to just say something to you about that. You're looking at the last guy in the world that's going to put you under the law. You're looking at the last guy in the world that's going to try to guilt trip you into serving God. But I hope you're looking at had a man here today that recognizes that God is above all holy, and we're not. Now the Bible says, as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. There was no dispensation of time, not in this church age or this dispensation of grace, where that God said, listen. Go ahead and do whatever you want because I'm no longer holy and I no longer have a holy expectation of my people because you're not under the law anymore. You know, I for one believe that the grace of God and His love is a more dynamic and prolific force in the lives of God's people than the law of Moses could ever prove to be. And we've got to be convinced of the fact that only a holy God could save an unholy people. That's why Jesus had to come to this earth. And the reality is that the reason why Jesus came, people, we ask people, why did Jesus come to earth? Well, to, to be crucified for all the world so that we might be saved. And that is a true statement. But the Bible reveals in summation what that really meant. Jesus came to this earth and died the death of crucifixion. Here's why. That all righteousness might be fulfilled so that God would be just, Paul said. Meaning holy in every way. And the justifier of the ungodly. The Lord couldn't do it any other way or we would not be saved. His holiness had to be maintained and what i'm saying to you is that god is a holy god and he calls his people to live a holy life a holy life i want to say to you that the bible reveals in first peter chapter 2 that the lord has called us a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Nadab and Abihu were a part of a Levitical priesthood. They were of the Aaronic line of the tribe of Levi. They were anointed of the Lord, set apart for a priestly role. And my friend, In the very same token, you and I have been set apart and we are called a royal priesthood. And the Bible declares that even in that time of the kingdom, that we will rule and reign as kings and priests with Christ upon the earth. Why? We're a royal priesthood. And so, we who are called upon to come into the holy place, can't do so casually we are called upon to to come boldly into the throne of grace cannot come glibly into the holy place and and we who are called upon to uh, declare the the truth and the majesty of God cannot just do it in our way in our time with strange fire upon the altar and expect that God is going to reveal himself in power and in great glory God is holy and He calls us to do things holily before Him, even in the dispensation of grace. And those of you that think, well, you're using the Pentateuch, that's the law, and you're, you're trying to co-opt the, law, co-opt the law to keep those under grace uh, serving. No, I'm not. You see, the Bible says in the book that expounds salvation by grace, Romans... In chapter 15, that whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Not condemnation, not guilt, but hope. And the hope we have because we have a holy Savior, is that He's coming again. And that, praise the Lord, we're not living in the dispensation of Nadab and Abihu. He's not going to smite us with the fire of God because we have tried to somehow offer strange altar upon the sacrifice. But I want you to understand that early on in this dispensation of grace, God manifested His power and might in a similar way before the apostles when there were two people named Ananias and Sapphira that brought their own form of strange, Fire and God dealt with it harshly as a demonstration that even in this time of this church age and this dispensation of grace, God is interested in righteousness and in true holiness. And so, what we find is that the Lord gave the final statute, and we read of that in verse number 8. The Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine. "...nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, and that ye may put difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean, and that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes with the Lord, which the Lord has spoken unto them by the hand of Moses." We notice, lastly, an applied statute. As we read through these chapters, one of the things that begins to emerge is that these young men, newly anointed priests, that offered strange fire in a place that was holy and at a time that was unholy, these young men were intoxicated with the love of the world's adulation. They wanted to be a part of something that was magnificent and a part of helping to influence people to shout and fall on their faces and say, Whoa, wasn't that cool? Do that again, Nadab and Abihu. Do it again. You know, I have been in the work of the Lord this month 40 years. And I talk to my wife quite often, and I, and I've lamented in these days of the stay-at-home orders that I'm trying to give the Word of God more than I ever have before in terms of just formal teaching and preaching. It seems, and and yet um, people are not respecting the need that I have to spend time in the Word of God and in prayer. They feel like if someone's not in my office and I'm not actively writing something or doing something, that I'm not busy. I've got nothing, nothing else to do. And the reality is that unless the Spirit of the living God descends in my study every once in a while, unless God moves me to tears and causes me to fall on my face, it's not going to happen here. I can't just say, "Okay, God, uh, you know, I'm going to show up," and and the people say, "Okay, man, that one yesterday was awesome. It made me cry. Do it again, Pastor. Just go ahead and do it again." Like as if somehow it's all on me. That out of the abundance of my biblical knowledge and 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 this connection I have with God, I can just cause His Spirit to fall, and the mighty to be manifest. And the reality is that that's not how it happens. As a vessel is consecrated to the Lord in God's way and in God's time and in the place of God's appointment, according to His sovereign will and plan, the glory of the Lord may be revealed. It's not up to me to presume upon God. And so what 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 I've got to understand is that I can't be intoxicated with the adulation of this world like these young men who later became intoxicated with the drink of this world which is alcohol. And the Lord said, I want there to be a distinction between my priests. That there's a difference between unholy and holy. I want there to be something that's set apart and totally clean. For me, that they go before the people uh, and they go before God in the tabernacle of the congregation in a holy manner and they're not tempted to say or do something that they shouldn't do in a timetable that is not ordained of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I've been around people that have been intoxicated before. And oftentimes they say things that later they realize they shouldn't have said. They do things in, in a timing that's really awkward and inappropriate. And, and a lot of times they're very presumptuous and they take liberties that they hadn't ought to take. And the truth of the matter is, we are to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. And not this world or its wisdom. And that is why the Bible says in Ephesians 5 and verse number 18, Be not drunk with wine where in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks unto God and the Father for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That, my friend, is a manifestation of the true and dwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God, one who has been baptized by the Holy Spirit and and with fire, that is the, the, the outworking of the inworking of the Holy Spirit of God in a person's life, but it's done in a way that edifies the Lord and not flesh. It's done in a way that's under the control of the Holy Spirit of God and not any worldly influence. I think that there are some people today, some ministers that probably ought to be cited because they're and given an MUI ministering under the influence of the world. I believe today that there is to be a holiness which with with which the work of God is conducted and it should be evident. I don't think that's that I personify that in every way. Years ago I heard a sermon by Pastor Lester Roloff, who had the, the Roloff homes in Corpus Christi, Texas. and He was a man that walked with God. He uh, was an amazing preacher, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And one night in a message, he said that sometimes I preach a, a message that's harder then I have the ability to live. But God knows in my heart I want to. And the truth is that I believe that those who have a passion in their heart to do things God's way, God will give His sufficiency and His enablement to. But there are far too many people today that are driven by the affection of the world and the approval of man to the extent that they're intoxicated with it. And it becomes the very thing that governs their choices. And when it does, we cease to be holy. One of the things that I often am struck with as I study the life of John the Baptist is of course the fact that Jesus said that of men born of woman. There is none risen greater than John the Baptist. Imagine that Jesus Himself said that here's the greatest man that's ever been born other than Jesus. Greatest man ever. And one of the things that we find unique about Him that the the angel revealed was that He would drink neither wine nor strong drink. He would have a Nazarite bow upon Him and that vow was so strong upon them that they not only did not drink wine or strong drink, anything that was alcoholic, but they didn't even eat grapes. They wanted to stay so far away from the things of the world that they didn't even want to meddle with the derivation of sin. They wanted in the minutest detail to be holy. We're living in a day where people, when they're confronted with the purpose and the plan and the way of doing things from God's Word, they say, well, what's wrong with this? Or, why can't I do this? Well, you know, God's people, instead of asking what's wrong with it, should say what's right with it. What's holy about it? And have such an awe for the fact that God has called me a royal priest. And the priests were consecrated. They were to be holy. To fulfill a holy work. And the Bible says this statute that was being applied was to be according to the Word of the Lord forever. Throughout your generations. Forever. You know what that tells us? God will never cease to be holy, nor will He cease in desiring holiness among His people. The dispensation of grace didn't invalidate who God is or what God wills. It just gave us a nobler reason to live it. Do you know, there are those that say, I'm, I'm the furthest thing from being holy. I'm closer to Nadab and Abihu and worse. Let me say this to you. God knew that you could never be holy. And that's why He sent our great High Priest, Jesus Christ, holy separate from sin, to be made a sacrifice for us. And He made Himself an offering for sin and offered His own blood on the mercy seat to satisfy a holy God for you and I who could never be holy without Him. God imputed your sin And my sin to Jesus. So that Jesus could impute His righteousness to you and to me. And having done so, He says, Now you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. And as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye. Oh. You say, well, I think what I'm going to do is, you know, I'll I'll go to church and I'll read my bible and I'll pray and hope for the best. Well, that's not God's way. That's what Nadab and Abihu did. You see, they thought if we just do this and do it our way then then God's power is going to fall and it's going to be awesome and the bible says there is a way which seemeth right unto a man but the end thereof are the ways of death. The rich young ruler came to Jesus, said, "Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" And he thought he was moral and upright and good. And he thought he was going to get in his own way, just need a little boost from God. Friends, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. We cannot bring strange fire. and and somehow think that it will be accepted of God. Self-will, our own way, hoping that God will accept it. God is holy, and that's why the only thing that God can accept is the sacrifice of Calvary. And so what we must do is realize That is our only hope. There is no other way except through what Jesus did for us at Calvary. Don't bring strange religious fire. Simply receive what Jesus provided for you at Calvary with His holy sacrifice and then receive the righteousness of God imputed your account. Because He loves you, because He's bestowed His grace upon you, determined to be what He has called you to be. Live for Him, concerned about every detail of your life, even the little things, for He is holy. Heavenly Father, today we are grateful that You love us. And that You sent Your only Son, Jesus, to be a holy sacrifice for our sin. Help us, Lord, to rejoice that because our sin was imputed to Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus was imputed to us. Help us to live our lives in view of that precious and wonderful exchange. Today I want to say, you did not stumble upon this broadcast by accident, it was by a divine appointment. Perhaps God is dealing with your heart about living your life for Christ in every small detail to please Him. But maybe there are some that say, I'm not really sure, Pastor, that if I died today that I would go to heaven. And if that's you, I want you to listen very carefully for just a moment. The Bible reveals that all of us are sinners. In fact, we're born sinners. and We've violated God's law all of our life. Because of our sin, the Bible says we deserve to be separated from a holy God and suffer in a place called Him. But Jesus loved you so much that He died in your place to pay the punishment for your sin in His own body to offer you forgiveness and a home with Him in heaven forever. If you would simply believe that that sacrifice He made at Calvary and His death for you and His resurrection to offer you life is all the only way to heaven. If you believe that today, He wants you to ask Him for that gift to receive it, believing. But he's promised that if you would, that you would be saved forever. And I don't know about you, I think that sounds like a pretty good offer. And so today, if you've never yet received Jesus Christ into your heart and life for the forgiveness of sins so that you could be sure of heaven I want you to pray this prayer with me right now now my prayer will not save you but if this reflects the desire of your heart and you're sincere before the Lord then make it your own prayer to God and if you do he's promised whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved would you pray something like this Dear Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner that I cannot change my sinful condition. I now invite Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of all of my sin and to save me so that I may spend forever in heaven with Him. I'm now trusting Jesus and Jesus only to save me and to take me to heaven. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Enable me to live for thee. For this I pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. I tell you this morning that if you just prayed that prayer on the authority of God's Word, you're saved on your way to heaven. And you can never lose your salvation because what He gave you is everlasting life. And everlasting life never comes to an end. Sometimes we mess up. We live in this flesh. We're not always behaving ourselves holily and honorably. But even then, the sacrifice of Calvary covers our sin. When Jesus hung on the cross, we weren't even born yet. So He paid for all of our sins in advance. Praise the Lord that once we're saved, we receive His gift of eternal life forever. And we rejoice in that. And if you prayed that prayer, I want to invite you to send us a note, write us an email, give us a call. Go to freewaybaptist.org We want to send you a, a Bible and some information that will help you understand all that is yours in Christ and all that's transpired.